0: If you own a Bible, have a Bible, uh, I'd love for you to grab one. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some free ones, some paperback Bibles uh, out in the lobby. Feel free to grab one. That's our be our gift for you. Otherwise, we'll have it on this massive screen uh, behind me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I uh, see some new faces, so let me just catch you up really quickly because I'm going to try to tackle a pretty... Uh, Massive doctrine uh, in just 25 minutes, but we all know that's a lie. Uh, but we've been talking about the season of Advent, and the Advent season is just where we are waiting. It's that waiting for the King to come, and we all know that through the Old Testament, the promises were made. The King came; He made good on His promises, and so the King came in the name of, and through the Jesus Christ. And then we've discovered that now he is ruling and reigning and there is this kingdom come mentality that we all ought to be praying and and earnestly waiting for. Now uh, we're waiting for the return of the king. I'm going to do my best to explain the return of Jesus. And, and if you didn't catch up, uh, if you don't follow me on Facebook, I wouldn't. Uh, but if you if you do, then I gave you a bit of a primer on eschatology. And eschatology is a really fancy word that just means the study of the end or when Christ comes or when uh, just the end of the end. Okay. And so I gave you a bit of a primer on that, uh, and you can agree or disagree with me on some of my takes on millennials and 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 history of uh, or your take of Revelation. But I think what we can all agree on what what binds us as believers in Christ Jesus is just the one central idea that Christ Jesus. Is going to come. He will come back for his elect, for his church. Now, how that all happens, and in, in what I would say we would have liberty to disagree with for the most part, but what we don't have liberty to di- disagree with as believers is the idea that there will be a glorious day when King Jesus appears and and for those who have been redeemed, bought by the blood of Christ, we will be with him forever. Paul is writing to the, the Thessalonians, and they, they've got a bit of angst within them. Uh, and I'll explain this in just a moment. There's, there's some angst in there. And so Paul is writing them this letter as a message of hope. Okay. And if there's anything that I want you to hear out of this message is that for us who have been bought by the blood of Christ, we have a hope. And the hope is we get to spend eternity with Christ. Okay? I, that's, if, if I were to give you doctrine of Christ's return, that's it. You have hope to spend it with Christ for eternity. Now, we're going to get into the weeds if I can. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together, with them in the clouds to, notice this, meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let us one more time pray and go before the Lord this morning. So God, we thank you, God, for your glorious return that is inevitable, that you will return. You will make good on your promise for your bride, the church, God. We ask, God, that you would help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, heart to receive, that in the end, the most important thing to remember from this is that we have a hope that is found in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now all of us have experienced real brokenness. We all have a real need for hope. We all have come into this room with problems, with issues, with trauma. And the story of Christmas, the story of Christmas is that Christ has has come and he has ransomed ransomed for himself a people. And and he continues to ransom himself People, it, And that's good news because when Christ came the first time, it wasn't that he's going to gather himself and elect people while he's doing his earthly ministry. It is that he's going to start this and until the consummation of the kingdom takes place, then everything will be done. The end will come. Now, we are at this point in history where we are all waiting for the return of the king, the second advent. The doctrine of the return of Jesus is about hope. If your doctrine of the return of Jesus is mainly about beasts and four-headed creatures and antichrist and symbolism and if it's about marks, and if it's about things that we can disagree on, then you've missed the whole entire point of the return of Christ. And you've missed the whole theme of the return of Christ. Because the point of the return of Christ is hope. It is that we will be with Christ for eternity. Now, if you hadn't walked out on me already then I think we're in good company okay because if that is that that is at at its foundation, what we historically as believers have all agreed on, whatever your view on the millennial reign, whatever your uh, pre trib, post trib I don't understand a word you're saying, trib whatever that is, what we all can agree on. And what I want to dig down into the trenches of your soul that you can grasp is that the doctrine of the Christ return is about a message of hope for a people that he has ransomed for himself. So Paul here has written a letter to Timothy about the Thessalonian church. Paul writes to them to restore their hope. And the reason why He's writing this letter about them having this restoration of hope is because the early church, mainly in Thessalonia, has experienced a lot of trials, a lot of trauma, and a lot of sudden deaths. There's been death all around them in this young infant church. And so Paul writes to them, and the theme of Thessalonians is a message of hope. He is reminding them that because of the resurrection of Christ our Lord, then we too will be resurrected, and we will meet Christ and be with him forever. Now, in just a matter of 20-something, 30, 40, 50 minutes, I'm going to just answer this question, and the question is, What is the return of Christ? What do we believe in when we say the doctrine of the return of Christ? I want you to flip over because I want to answer that question with more questions because that's how my brain works. I want you to flip back to the beginning of the gospel in the Olivet Discourse in the gospel of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. I don't have this on the screen. This is free 99. The first question I have when I'm thinking about the return of Christ, and it's a question that has haunted us for a couple thousand years, is when? Right? When is this going to take place? Now, when I get this question from some of y'all, what you're asking me is, are we in the end of times? I say yes, but what you really mean is, well, are we at the end of the end of the end of the end? of the end times and to that i will tell you what the god man jesus said i don't know now you may have deciphered codes and you may have taken your calendar out the aztec calendar and done all these little configurations as pinpoint in a certain era of time i would just lovingly kick you in the shins and tell you maybe you've wasted your time you know why because you don't know. Now, I don't know, you don't know, and guess what? We're all in good company because none of us know. And here's what Jesus would say when he was talking about when the re- inevitable return would happen. He says this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But concerning that day or hour, y- y- you ready for this? No one knows. Now, your mama. Not Prophet Betty Jean down the street, not the prophet in parawan who's predicting the the mass nuclear war that's going to take place within one week. He don't know, and you don't know. Jesus said, No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. That's a huge day when he's talking about but concerning that day. That day that Jesus is talking about is not just when Jesus appears and he returns but he is also talking about the day of judgment. The day when all the believers will be with Christ and all those who have have rejected him will be judged. And there is this idea then that when Christ returns, that he will judge and then the new heavens and the new earth will appear before him. Now, Jesus doesn't know. And and I think that what we have here is what we call the hypostatic union of Jesus, which is the God-man, fully god fully man. And what we see here, and this is Matthew speaking, right? And, and I think some people would agree with this, is that this is the God-man speaking. He doesn't know. And what I would believe is that when he ascended fully God and fully man, that while he's in the heavens, I believe he does actually know. But that's just me. We can disagree on that later. Now, many people over the course of history have declared that they know. Many occults have birthed out of that same fundamental idea that I've pinpointed this particular day that it will take place. Now, I'm thinking of Charles Taze Russell. You don't have to know this guy. I don't even know why I know this guy. But he is the leader of the J-dubs. That's what we called him in the South. That's for short for the Jehovah's Witnesses. Predicted that in 1914, Jesus would return. It is now 2023. Did he know? The answer is no. I am giving you very softball questions at this point. They get harder. And then out of him was birthed this cult-like movement out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they predicted seven times that this is it. This is the inevitable end and the gloom and doom of the world. It is now 2023, as we have said, They got it wrong. And I'm not just hating on some of them. Even some people in the evangelical movement have thought that they've had some type of divine revelation only to be made out to look like fools. You guys remember the televangelist Pat Robertson? He predicted that in 1982... The inevitable end is here. Now, I was born in 1992, so I don't know if there's anything to that, that maybe I'm the guy that's ushering in this whole thing. I don't know. That's just how my brain works. It is now 2023. Pat Robertson got it wrong. The man who some of you have sadly got your eschatology from, the Left Behind series, Hal Lindsey, said that it was also going to be done with this world. Hal Lindsey got it wrong. And men and women have started cults all because they thought they had some divine revelation from the Lord. And if you hear somebody say, I've got it, I know the day. And I, honey, you better listen. If I ever come up here and say, I'm going to tell y'all what, the end is right now. And you got like 12 hours to reconcile things. Y'all better throw something at me and kick me out. Lock the door, don't let me back in. Something has tragically happened in my brain That's the first thing that you ought to know about the inevitable return of Christ is that nobody knows. You don't know. Now, the question then that I hope that I've got some change in some of your pockets that you've been with me for some time now and you won't throw anything at me, that you'll listen to me and hear my reasoning behind how, the how, the how, how will Jesus come. Well, we know it's going to be visibly. We know that he is going to return. We don't know when he's going to return, but how is the question. Now, when I read through the Bible, I read through it, and what we call this thing, it's a beautiful word called hermeneutics. It's the study in the context of Scripture. So when I look at a particular Scripture, I'm looking at what's around it. What's the chapter about? What's the whole book about? What does the Old Testament point to about this? What do other authors say about this? And there are many authors. In fact, in fact, one person wrote that one out of 20 verses in some way is talking about the inevitable return of Christ. Now, now Jesus just said, you don't know, but here's what he says. But here's what it's going to be like. Continue in verse 37 from Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is in context talking about the return, his return. When he gathers the elect and when the day of judgment comes. Verse 37, he says this, For as were the days of Noah... Pay attention to this. You've got to follow, follow along slowly with me. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. As were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. Now watch this now. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the Son of Man. Did you catch that? What happened in the days of Noah? Well, there's a crazy guy out there saying, I'm building an ark. Because there's a flood coming. And then I imagine Billy Joe passes by, and and he's, I don't know if if your name is Billy Joe, I don't mean to poke at you. Billy Joe, as if somebody of the Hebrew name is going to be Billy Joe. What are you doing, crazy old man? Flood? What? Oh, yeah, that's just nonsense. And for years and for decades, they kept asking, What are you doing, crazy old man? And suddenly, there was a flood. Who was swept away in the flood? Who? The wicked. Who was kept safe in the ark? The righteous. Jesus just equated his return to the days of Noah. We've all been taught that we're going to be swept away. Who was swept away in the days of Noah? the wicked. And Jesus says that when I return, it's going to be just like the days of Noah, that the wicked will be swept away and the righteous will remain. Now, hang with me uh, and don't walk out on me yet because, because I'm going to prove some really interesting things here. If you flip over just one chapter to Matthew 26, Jesus is also going to give us a glimpse of what this day is going to look like even more. You've heard of the the, uh, parable of the ten virgins? Fascinating, fascinating parable. Jesus is likening this parable just like his glorious return. Instead of me just kind of talking, let me read through it. It's it, just angry. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him. And the door was shut. Afterwards, almost done. The other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So the bridegroom comes. And who is the bridegroom representative of? Jesus. So thank you. The bridegroom comes and he meets these wise virgins and they bring him into the wedding hall and the others are shut out. Now this was in ancient Israel common that the bride or the groom would be ushered in by the virgins or by an accompanying of people and would usher him into the hall or or to wherever that the, the festivities would take place. Notice what does not happen. Notice that the groom appears and and the ushering committee comes out and then takes him out somewhere. What do they do? They usher him in. They bring him in. This is what honor looked like in this day that there would be a welcoming committee waiting for the groom and they would usher him in as this beautiful ceremony and bring him into this particular marriage feast. Now, this is a common theme in ancient Israel that would take place, common in marriages and also common with kings. Think about this. We read John chapter 12 a couple of weeks ago and I did that intentionally just to drive home this point. When Jesus comes in on the donkey, what happens? Remember, you've got to think Palm Sunday, right? The people go to Jesus, and what do they do? They usher him in. Follow me now. Paul is using this similar language when he's writing to the Thessalonians. When the king appears, okay? When we the king appears, those who are dead, those saints who are dead will rise to meet Jesus in the air. And those of us, if we're still sticking around when this happens, will be caught up, meet Christ in the air. And notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, and then you're going to be blasted off. What takes place? I'll tell you what takes place. Revelation 21 takes place. When John sees up in the heavens, a new heaven, a new Jerusalem, ushering down from the skies. And the old has passed away and the new has come. I don't know how that kind of sits with some of your theology, but this is for me, all right? This is just for me. Remarkable. It is glorious. It is the hope that we've been waiting for, that every eye will see a visible Christ. In Revelation, in chapter 19, it says that when he appears, he will have King of kings and Lord of lords, tattooed on his thigh and we will all see him and then we are caught up with Christ the king and then we are that accompanying people who were then usher down the new kingdom rule of Christ and at that moment the consummation of the kingdom of God will be complete that's the how That's based on my best interpretation of how this thing is going to come to an end and be consummated for the bridegroom. The bridegroom will meet his bride in the air and we will usher him down and we will feast with him forever on a new heaven and the new earth. Now, then the next question is what is the hope of that? Are we all going to be like like little chubby little angels with harps? Which, by the way, is a terrible drawing and depiction of an angel. Y'all saw the picture of the angel a few weeks ago. It's terrifying. Are we just going to, you know, sing amazing grace for 4,000 years? My Lord Jesus, I hope not. No offense, it's an amazing song. But you know that lyric when we've been there 10,000 years. I, I, I don't, I don't, here's what I, I, I anticipate. The wedding feast will take place. And we will be celebrating with Christ. Now, here's what happens. John's going to take us into a little slight closing and conclusion on this about what this whole end and the shebang of the glorious return is going to inevitably, eternally look like. Now, I referenced Revelation 21. Just turn there really quickly. It's the last book, the last uh, part of the Bible, second chapter to the end there. Again, same theme. John's writing to a persecuted church, exploring the theme of hope. All right? We've messed up some stuff in our interpretations of Revelation. The purpose of this is Jesus appearing to John and John writing down some things that would go back to a persecuted church that would give them hope to continue on, to endure. And so look at these final glorious words that he gives us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. If I could just give us three just closing thoughts on this whole idea of this doctrine of the return of Christ, that when Christ returns, the hope that we have is that this will be a new creation. New! I mean, it just seems like a... I mean, Seems easy and simple. It's, it's new. In other words, we will be filled with awe wherever we look. You, you could go down some slummy streets in LA or San Francisco or in Vegas. You could go down some slummy thing and you, and you just imagine the newness of the creation that we are promised and the hope that we have is that everything will be made new. It will be in awe, this majesty all around us. And we'll never take it for granted. Now, that's the thing about us folks up here in the Utah. We've got some of the most beautiful landscape. But we take it for granted. Oh, yeah, I've been down to Zion about a hundred times. I mean, it's marvelous. You just go 15 minutes up the mountain, and it's Beautiful. And for some of us it's kind of the newness has worn off a little bit but that's not the way of the new kingdom that is coming the newness that Christ gives us will never fade away we will be made new creation around us will be made new the the other hope that we have that, that if i could just just Two more quick things. The other hope that we have is that our hope is that God will dwell with us. Right? He'll, 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 Old Testament language, he'll tabernacle with us. He'll set up his tent with us. And the dwelling of God will be with his people. And that is glorious news because some of us have a massive, uh, or a horrible idea of God. That God is like hiding behind Jupiter, like trying to avoid you. Like he's just trying to like, oh no, here comes that person with my, their prayers again. They're going to start nagging me. And so I've got to go hide out in the cosmos so they'll never see me. That's a terrible view of God. That's a, that's a deistic view of the Lord that he just kind of created us and just lifted his hands off of us and said, you know what? Good luck with all of this. But that's not the view of God of the Bible That God will dwell with his people. That we'll walk with him. We'll talk with him. Like all, you know, and and it's like, it's like all that that fulfillment will be had with the presence of God. All that was lost in the garden, remember back in Genesis chapter three? All that was lost. the, The physical communion with God will be made better will be made perfect. And I like this. And the, the other thing that, that, that gives me hope about the glorious return of Christ is that all of the brokenness will be reversed. John uses some language that you've got to be careful not to overlook because when, when you see a line like, and the sea will be no more, like, like, what does that mean? Does that mean like all the waters are going to be evaporated? Like, what, what is this? It, there's a thought in ancient Israel that the sea was a mark of terror. All right? They didn't have the technology we have that we could just be tracking along through the seas and a little ski do. And so. But, but it, was a, it was a mark of horror and terror. And so watch what what John just says. No more terror. No more fear. No more horror. Those things that keep you up at night. No more of that. No fear of death. No fear of cancer. No fear of disease. No fear of losing your loved ones. No more fear. It's all gone. It's been wiped away. And not just this fear of the unknown, not just this fear of the pressing, fear of the now, fear of the future, but also all of the brokenness that you've experienced here on this earth will be reversed upon the glorious return of Christ. Now, I don't know if that gives you any good news, but that gives me a lot of hope. That's a... if I were back in the South, somebody'd be shouting by now. But I understand y'all are a little bit low-key like that. That's fine. No more brokenness. No more despair, no more trauma. No more fighting with your relatives, no more fighting with your friends, no more fighting with neighbor. like none of that. Everything that is broken on this Earth will be reversed. Every struggle, every heartache, every painful moment, he will dwell with us. Every every terrifying thought will be gone. Every tear will be wiped away. And upon the glorious return of Christ, the ushering in of his kingdom will bring about the perfected shalom, shalom that all of us have this angst in our heart and that we're waiting for. You see, I mean, that's that's Advent. That's waiting. That's what keeps some of us going. That's what keeps some of us questioning. That's what keeps some of us in this angst is that all of us have this inside of our heart that we're waiting to be fulfilled. And we, we understand the implications of that. That some of us are going to try to find that satisfaction, that fulfillment in the things of this world. And, 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 and how's that working out for you? It's not. Now, it may feel good in the moment. But it leads the whole, and it makes the chasm wider, the whole deeper, and the angst greater that I'm still waiting. And the only thing that can sustain and to keep us going is this message of advent that one day Christ will appear and we will be with him in all of the wrongs that have been done to you on this earth and all of the wrongs that you have done will be made new it's this message of hope no more pain no more disappointment no more trauma that's the return of the king and that's what he will bring and to this end we hope and i and i go back to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 that last verse we read verse 18 therefore what do we do let the church encourage each other with these words these words, listen, no matter how bad it gets, Christ is coming and it'll be made new. And let the church encourage each other with this glorious, glorious truth. Let's pray. Father,